Hello and welcome back to the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. This time we're hearing from a woman who has spent years at the heart of American politics inside the White House. Hello everyone, I'm Huma Abedin and I am the brand new author, I still can't believe I'm able to say those words, uh, of a book called uh, Both And, A Life in Many Worlds. And I am this week's guest on the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. Huma tells us about her new book and what being a both slash and person means in a black or white world. I walked into a refugee camp in Macedonia, felt comfortable there. I've had the privilege of staying at Buckingham Palace and, you know, one of many visits and just finding a sense of grounding. You know, my father had always told me that people are like plants and a plant is only as good as its roots. As long as you nourish the roots, it doesn't matter winter, storm, rain, the plant is going to be okay. She talks about how, aged just 21, she found a role in Hillary Clinton's team at the White House, which seemed like a plan B at the time. I stepped out into the hallway at the White House, calling my mom on those old cell phones at the size of a brick and saying, oh my gosh, I didn't get, I didn't get, you know, the, the, the press office. And my mother back then said to me, look, sometimes plan A doesn't always work out, but just try plan B. And Huma tells us about the worst advice she's ever received. Fortunately, she ignored it, choosing to listen to Anna Wintour and Hillary Clinton instead. I mean, who wouldn't? Anna Winter, she takes me out, and as we're having dinner, she says, um, I know what you should do next. You should write a book. You should tell your story. And a few days later, I go see Hillary and say, well, Anna has this crazy idea that I should write my book. And Hillary says, oh, I think this is a great idea. So you have these two iconic, really amazing role models for me. And I think, no, 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 it's, you know, it's not worthy. And about seven months later, I went to lunch with a, a man who was giving me some professional advice. And I mentioned to him a few people had suggested I write my book. And he says, well, why would you do that? It's a terrible idea. It was such a great chat with Humor, one of my favorites so far, I think. She's had such a fascinating life, and it was so great to talk to her about everything, family, work, just the power of going for a walk. I found it really inspirational, and I hope you enjoy listening too. Huma, thank you so much for being our guest on today's Grazia Life Advice podcast. I'm so excited to speak to you and very excited to read your book, um, which just landed on my doormat this morning. So um, tell me, how are you and what's it like um, having this book out in the world? Well, Lati, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm thrilled uh, to be talking to you today. And it has been incredibly um gratifying, overwhelming, liberating experience to have my book out in the world after having, you know, sat at a laptop by myself for a period of time, mm -hmm. you know, pouring all this information out, pouring my life out really uh, onto the page. Uh, it's It's been an incredible experience. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I imagine with, with that comes a whole load of vulnerability and anxiety as well um, to sort of finally be telling your story rather than um, the story of a, of a higher profile person that, that you're working with. Well, actually, for me, I found that I lived in anxiety and sort of bracing for the next piece of bad news or the next, you know, uh, you know, uh, last call as I write in the book. Um and this is moving on from that. This is, you know, I, as I say um, uh, throughout the story, you know, I feel as though so for so much of my adult life, for the last 20 years of my life, 
other people have been writing my story. And this was an opportunity for me to reclaim, you know, reclaim my story. Somebody else has been writing my history. It felt really empowering to be able to put in my own words what I was thinking. You know, so much when I started writing the book, one of my researchers said the most common um, news articles about you in the last several years are two things. One, what is wrong with her? And two, what is she thinking? And it is one of the reasons why I chose to really um, share exactly what I was thinking, you know, throughout these moments in American history, uh, whether it was professionally or personally, um, so that uh, I took people into my thought process, why I did the things that I did and I and and what um, motivated me to do the things that I did. Mm. I can imagine that that is a really good feeling. And you're here today to, to share some pieces of advice with us. Um, so your first piece of advice, Hima, is that a good life is a balanced life. When did you realize this? Well, it took a very, you know, I, I um, as I share in the book, uh, and it's one of the reasons why I chose to begin with my early family history, talk about my grandmother and my parents and, you know, as two immigrants, an Indian father, a Pakistani mother, you know, who gave up their countries. They both lived through the partition in India, came to the United States, Fulbright scholars for them. Education was a religion. And my father, who I was very close to and lost, um, uh, you know, when I felt like I was too young, I was 17 when he died. But when I was two, um, he was, you know, told he was essentially told he had five to 10 years um, to live and to sort out his affairs. And it's one of the first lines I write in the book, my father was told he was dying. And so he went out and he lived. And he was my age uh, that I am now, 46, when he was given that diagnosis. And for me, um, my entire life, so I you know, spent my formative years in Saudi Arabia. I would travel around the world. It's one of the best gifts my parents gave us. And my father would always tell us a good life is a balanced life. And somehow my parents had figured it out. I did not follow that advice uh, for most of my life. I walked into the White House as a 21-year-old intern in 1996 and uh, and my life took a very different turn. I, you know, I share how I was at a family wedding and uh, got a call from the White House saying, do you want to travel to Argentina on behalf of the president and first lady? And and I said, yes. And I always said, yes, I always picked work over family. And it, I would say I spent a good two decades uh, in that space. Work always came first. And and I, it was only after sort of the shell shock of the 2016 presidential election in the United States and, you know, really being forced to rebalance, finding the time and place to take care of myself, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, that I've learned that a good life was a balanced life. And it is the one piece of advice I give to pretty much every young person who's reached out to me since this book has come out, and there have been many. It is important to find balance. Um, and it's a, it's a much healthier space and place to be, and I'm glad to have finally found it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it must just feel like such a different kind of state of being to have that balance in your life now after everything you describe about your time at the White House and everything that, that happened there. Um, I'm just interested in, in what that balance really looks like for you on a day-to-day -day level. Well, just think about the morning I had before I... I uh you know, I joined this conversation with you. I am able to take my son to school every day, which was something I almost never had an opportunity to do. Uh, I was not often around for bath time, bedtime, feeding. 
I missed just about um, every, you know, nephew and niece's birth. Whereas, you know, if I had really could sort of been able to go back in time, I would have changed that and just made more time to be at family weddings, uh, at family funerals. Uh, I just was often in a different country, a different time zone, Asia, Europe, Middle East. Mm. Um, and now I am able to you know, dictate, you know, control more of my time. I'm sort of obsessed with my schedule. It's <laughs> something I didn't really uh, – my boss was always that way, but I, I only now when I realize that the most precious thing I have is my time and – share stories in the book, you know, where I get up 5.30 and, and from an office meeting and saying, I have to go. I have to go home and be with my child. Uh, the old me would not have done that. My old me would have stayed at the office um, until the work was done. And mm -hmm. it's hard to do, especially I think when you're a parent, when you're constantly juggling, feeling that guilt, needing to be in two places at one time and not sure you're doing either thing perfectly. Yeah. Now I do have that, you know, the luxury of that choice of, of being able to say, I need to be present for my son. Mm. What's your second piece of advice? So I was raised, my, my, my parents always encouraged us to follow nature's path. And it is um, uh, true that now, you know, in this state of rebalancing my life in the last few years, I find I'm most happiest when I'm out in nature, when I'm just going for a walk or a hike, just, you know, exploring spaces and places that are in nature. I feel a sense of peace and tranquility that I don't otherwise, I, I don't, I didn't rather uh, often otherwise feel. And that is how we were raised. My parents, you know, it was all about balance and moderation. So you could have you know, the piece of cake after dinner, but that was only after you had your piece of fruit. You know, we were allowed to have soda in my house growing up from time to time, but we woke up every morning to my father at the juicer making carrot juice and mixing it with apples. And that was every single morning. We had a teaspoonful of honey and five almonds, each of us, and I hated it. Now I, you know, I love eating honey and almonds, but it was, it was, and being outside and exercising and, you know, going to the you know, there were not a lot of places that young girls could, uh, or young women rather, could run around outside in Saudi Arabia. But as much as my father could get us to, you know, go to the beach or just go to our backyard and walk around. And then as we traveled the world every summer, I mean, we were just outside, outdoors every single day. And did you find that over the lockdowns that we've experienced over the past few years that you were able to return to this nature's path in a way that maybe you hadn't? Absolutely. Every day. I mean, just to, even if I was, if I was feeling tired, if I was in a sour mood one morning, um, just stepping outside, going for a walk, um, whether I, you know, I was in the city or away or, you know, my family, um, just, it, it is, there's such a sense of peace and healing that one can get when you're, you know, you're forced to sort of take a break from sitting at your laptop uh, all day, as I often do. Certainly during the pandemic, I lived on my, you know, my Zooms and my, you know, my laptop. Totally. And also, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like what you've said is just like, go for a walk. It's so simple. And actually, yeah. I think we build up this whole like narrative around being in nature where we're not going for a walk, we're forest bathing or, <laughs> right. we're, um, you know, we're going for a 5k run. Like, actually, just go for a walk. It's like yeah. really easy. 
Yeah, yeah. Although I've recently heard about in the last couple of years, I've learned about forest bathing, and I'm now quite enamored with the whole idea. So I've put it on my bucket list. Yes, I want to. But is it not just going for a walk in the woods? (laughs) Like, what? How is it different? I think you're supposed to stop. Actually, stop and hear, listen to the sounds around you, and try to identify them. And first, I haven't actually done this. But I, I right. you know, I want to do this. I, I read about um, how in, in Japan, don't they, didn't they build these parks that, you know, people were encouraged to go and sort of take these, you know, walks on a regular basis, reconnecting with nature. I do um, like the sound of that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. Um, your third piece of advice is that your eyes are at the front of your head for a reason. This one is very intriguing. Tell me more. So this is, um, you know, my father always encouraged me to study history. In fact, when I was uh, a little girl, he would say, you know, go go to university, you know, study study history, not to become a historian, but because to him, you, you know, you, you had to always look forward. It was about the future. It was about what you build, what you create, what decisions, actions that you take. And that's why he always said to us when we were little, he's like, your eyes are at the front of your head for a reason. It is to look forward, not to sit and stew about what you could have, would have, should have done. Um, but also, the reason it was important to learn history was to understand the mistakes that mankind, that humankind really, had made in the past. And it helped to help inform decisions we would make to the f- in the future. It was, you know, my parents saying to us, you are the next generation of leadership what are the you know choices, actions that you're gonna? What are your intentions to improve your world? And so to keep your eye focused on the future, but to understand history was really important. I've tried to follow that advice. It's easier said than done. I've certainly you know as I share throughout the book, I often would you know I lived for a long time in the world of sliding doors. What if we did this? What if I did that? What if I did this? How you know the world would be different? But it is actually quite an unhealthy space and place to be. Uh, you know, you you have to get to a point, and I certainly got there eventually, where you accept the you know what has happened in the past has happened, and you just have to stay focused on on the future. Yeah, I suppose it's really hard to do that at the moment with such uncertainty um, in the world to kind of just stay focused on your own future rather than feeling overwhelmed by your lack of control of the future in a like wider societal pandemic sense. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that there is so much. One of my favorite things to do um, since I've been on this book tour for the last few weeks has been uh, going to universities and and speaking to students um, and hearing from them both their anxieties but also their aspirations um, for the future. There's no greater reminder about um, the responsibility that those of us who are out in the world, you know, certainly for somebody like me who was in public service for 25 years, feeling a responsibility to leave a better, healthier, you know, uh, whether it's an economic state of the world, whether it has to do with climate, this is the world we're leaving to this next generation. And, you know, how do we, how do we live in this, as you say, a fairly, um, anxiety, uh, you know, riddled world uh, at the moment and and try to be hopeful. And you have to do that. That's an intention. That's getting up every single day and saying, I can do better. I can try to be better. You know, how can I be focused on the future? Because if you live in the past, as you know, I learned the hard way, it, you know, can slowly 
you know, just kill you inside. It just, it, it can do something to you that's really damaging. Mm. We're just going to hop on to a quick ad break, but we'll be right back for more life advice. And we're back with Huma Aberdeen, who is sharing her life advice with Grazia today. And um, your fourth piece of advice, Huma, could you um, share that one with us, please? So the fourth piece of advice uh, I wrote, and it's how I try to live my life, and it's really how I approach writing the book, is show, not tell. So instead of um, at least what I have tried to do in my life, and I've had the you know extraordinary privilege of you know having worked for two United States presidents, first Bill Clinton, then Barack Obama, working in the White House, working at the Senate, uh, United States Senate, working at the State Department, being on, you know, two historic uh, presidential campaigns in this country. Um, And what I've tried to do, instead of telling, you know, people about the experience, telling people, uh, uh, which sometimes feels like lecturing, that we should be doing this, we should, you know, we should have done that, this is how we did this. I just show what it's like, you know, as I take people through the stories of my life, it is just showing what it was like taking readers into that um, room at the White House, onto Air Force One, into that back room in Tunisia, talking to that Tunisian first lady, you know, what it was like having these interactions with Nelson Mandela, you know, these really historic, you know, you know, magnificent human beings. But really trying to reveal their humanity, explaining, you know, the choices they made as opposed to saying this person's amazing, just showing how they made choices and decisions. And I think that's a good way to live one's life is to just, you know, it's how my parents raised us. They didn't tell us, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. They just showed us a model in living as responsible humans in this world. And I tried to follow, uh, tried to follow that model. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes the people that do a lot of telling, so thinking about Instagram influencers and um, people on social media, they may actually not be doing as much showing in terms of like virtue signaling and, you know, banging on about kindness or um, whatever their, um, their issue is. But actually, like, what are you doing? Show us. Right. Right. Exactly right. And I've I've tried to instill that in every element of my life and certainly in the stories I share about, um, you know, how I've how I've moved through the world, moving along the seams. um, As I say, there's a way to, you know, be both and you can do good things. You don't have to, you know, stand at a megaphone saying I'm amazing. You can just, you know, it's certainly for me, I have a nine year old son. It's just, you know, showing him by example. Mm. Um, as opposed to lecturing him. So did the title of your book come quite naturally in that respect? Or was it like a light bulb moment that you were like, that's what I've got to call it? It was a light bulb moment. This book went through many different iterations of different titles. Nothing felt quite right. But for me, both and, um, you know, to the point you were making earlier in our conversation, it does feel as though we are living in an increasingly either or world. And I was raised as a both and, and I, you know, I insist on living in a both and world. I can be, you know, have my toe in both spaces and places and be comfortable. And I, that's a gift uh, I give to the way I was raised is, you know, I can, I walked into a refugee camp in Macedonia, felt comfortable there. I've had the privilege of staying at Buckingham Palace and, you know, one of many visits and just finding a sense of grounding. You know, my father had always told me that 
people are like plants and a plant is only as good as its roots. And, you know, as long as you nourish the roots and take care of the soil, doesn't matter, winter, storm, rain, the plant is going to be okay. And so, you know, for, for me, certainly, I'm constantly reminded, I feel as though I, I'm grateful to my parents for never making me doubt my roots, where I came from, who I am. Mm. And that's given me a confidence to operate as an adult in this world. Yeah. Your fifth piece of advice is that sometimes plan A might not work out, but that plan B can actually be pretty extraordinary. <laughs> is that something that you um, that you realize sort of midway through a plan B or did you recognize it during a plan A? <laughs> no. Well, you know, I write as, as and may, maybe many young people might be able to relate to this, but I, you know, was a 15 year old girl sitting on the, you know, floor of our apartment in Saudi Arabia in the middle of Operation Desert Storm, the first Gulf War, and not sure what I was going to do with my life or where I was going to go to university and saw a face appear on my screen. And, um, and the minute, uh, you know, I engaged with that presence, I thought that this is who I'm going to be. And that was Christiane Amanpour. And it was the first time I'd ever seen somebody who looked like she came from my part of the world out there in the covering this war, this, you know, intrepid truth teller, so courageous, so brilliant. And I thought that's who I'm going to be. And at 15, I had figured out my life's path. And fast forward five years later, when I got an internship at the White House and was not placed in the White House press office, where I was certain to be in the press office is how I would end up being Chris Amanpour, I was put in uh, the First Lady's policy office um, because of my background and the work I had done with my mother, who was uh, you know, involved in the, the Beijing, uh, the 1995 Beijing World Conference on Women. And so I remember I actually share the story about how I stepped out into the hallway at the White House calling my mom on those old cell phones at the size of a brick and saying, oh, my <laughs> gosh, I didn't get. I didn't get, you know, the, the, the press office. How am I going to be Christian Amanpour? And my mother back then said to me, look, sometimes plan A doesn't always work out, but just try plan B. It, it might work out okay. And for me, you can't even make up my life. I mean, it turned out not only okay, but it turned out to be extraordinary. And so allow yourself – it's something I say at all these universities. It's okay to not know. It's, it's good to try different things because you don't know where you might end up. Mm, it's so true. I think there's so much pressure, particularly on young people, to kind of hang their hat on a particular yeah. career path or even like an identity and just think, this is this is me, this is it. Yeah. But yeah. to be open to that shifting and evolving throughout your life, I think is really liberating. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Your final piece of good advice is fail to plan and plan to fail. So this was something that was introduced to me when I walked into the White House um, where – and there are so many stories. I wouldn't even know, you know where to start. But this, this – um, it was kind of the mantra. I had a whole you – know, one of the things that has come up a lot as I've been traveling around this country is that this sense of walking into a work environment where there was a lot of professional support. And it was professional support – that extended, you know, into, you know, your personal life. So I write about this, uh, the whole, the chapter about what it was like to work in a supportive work environment is called Hillary Land. And I describe mm -hmm. Hillary Land as a place where, you know, there, it was an environment where you had women, there were men too, but it was mostly women in our office who, as they climbed up the ladder, 
instead of like stepping on the fingers of the women and the young people below them, they reached their hands to, you know, lift the lowest of us up to. And it was an environment where the, you know, the conversation was all about, you know, how can we do this better? Can I help you with your resume? You should go and talk to my allergist. And it was an environment that, you know, Hillary Land was all of these things because Hillary Clinton was all of these things. And trying to find a place um, in this, you know, at least for me, a very overwhelming work environment. Now, I happen to end up at the White House, but I think any young person walking into their first job is, you know, especially if it's a big company, it can be overwhelming and you don't know if you're doing it well and you don't know if you're doing it right. And so for us, it was all about, you know, figuring out a plan, knowing what you were doing and, and not, look, there are plenty of times where I write about Things sort of thrown in our way. We had a kind of sink or swim attitude, uh, certainly in our office, that when I was being tried out to travel with the first lady, they would just send me uh, on these trips. And the very first trip I took to New York, um, we uh, I didn't know that there were m- multiple helicopters that traveled when a president of the United States moves. And so here I am on my very first trip. My helicopter lands. I'm trying to take off the first lady's luggage. We're right, you know, on the, you know, on the Wall Street landing zone in New York City. And as my helicopter takes off empty so that Marine One can land, the rotors, the prop wash lifts the first lady of the United States' clothes, the hanging bag, off the side of this dock and flings it out into the East River. Oh my God. And here I am shaking, no idea what to do, but I, you know, run inside and I, you know, find one of the men that works there and he shakes his head and says, I have never heard of this ever happening and before. And he runs out with a broom, fishes that, you know, hanging bag out of the water, puts it in the back of the van, sopping wet. And sure enough, run to the hotel, you know, figure out how to get it dry cleaned and and the next morning 12 hours later the first lady walks on stage at the United Nations and gives a speech and having no idea that her clothes were floating in the east river the night before so it oh was these constant like things were thrown at you i share another story about her being on stage uh, one of my very first trips and about to go up and there's lots of press and lots of applause and she points her finger to have me come over and i go up to the stage and she says i don't have my speech and I, you know, here I am having this, you know, red from top to bottom shaking, but I run out to the limousine, find the speech, you know, get it out there in the nick of time. It was having that confidence in yourself that you can do it. And uh, that so planning is good. And sometimes life throws you some curveballs and in figuring out how to, you know, navigate it is an adventure. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um- it's been so great talking to you about all of your um, your good advice. And I mean, your book is just full to the brim of it as well. Um, but before we say goodbye, you um, have also been given some bad advice in your time, as we all have. Um, and I just wondered if you could share with us this uh, possibly worst piece of advice that you've ever been given. <laughs> well, it certainly is the most memorable. And in in for me, it was, um, you know, right after the 2016 presidential election when Hillary, law, Hillary Clinton lost, you know, those of us who worked for her, it was such a devastating time for us. And two weeks, um, I'm not even sure if it was two weeks after the election, a friend of mine, a good friend, Anna Winter, uh, emails me and says, we're going to go to dinner. And so she takes me out. And as we're having dinner, she says, um, I know what you should do next. You should write a book. You should tell your story. And I thought, oh, my gosh, no, I don't. I would never do that. I like being this invisible person. I like being quiet. I'm not going to do it. 
And a few days later, I go see Hillary and say, well, Anna has this crazy idea that I should write my book. And Hillary says, oh, I think this is a great idea. So you have these two, you know, incredibly power, you know, iconic, really amazing role models for me. And I think, no, 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 it's, you know, it's not worthy. And about seven months later, I went to lunch with a, a man who was giving me some professional advice. And I mentioned to him, a few people had suggested I write my book. And he says, well, why would you do that? And I said, well, you know, it's a good story and, you know, I, I've, lo- I've lots I want to say. And he says, oh, I, I, I think it's a terrible idea. You know, I'm not sure anyone, you know, would want to read about any more scandal. And it was the minute he – I walked out of that lunch and I was writing this book. And I, it was somebody – the minute somebody said, you are not worthy, the story is not worthy, that really made me decide it was the right decision. And boy, have I been so – overwhelmed by the response, the notes, the, you know, I write in the book, you know, if I could help one person, uh, let alone, you know, the overwhelming number of messages and letters and people who stop me on the street, um, it's, it's a small service I have paid and I'm, I'm grateful to have been able to do it. Well, I, for one, am very pleased that you didn't listen to that guy. Um, but I mean, who wouldn't listen to Anna Wintour and Hillary Clinton, quite <laughs> frankly? I mean, you just would, Excellent you? point. Um, um, so just before we leave you, what's what's next? You've written the book now. What comes after that? Well, I, I, you know, I say this in just about every, you know, place I have an opportunity to speak. I have chosen to do the thing that scares me the most. I am, you know, I don't like public speaking. I don't like being out in the world. I don't like, uh, you know, exposing myself. And I've been shocked, really rather surprised myself at how much I've enjoyed it. And so I'm taking this moment to... Uh, you know, just absorb it, take it all in and, you know, enjoy the moment. And I'm going to be open to whatever new opportunity comes my way. I don't know what it is yet, um, but I'm looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate you making the time. I'm sure you're doing lots of these uh, sort of interviews for your book. So thank you for speaking to us today. Thrilled to have the conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you and, uh, and thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Grazia Life Advice podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, which hopefully you did, please share it and share it with your friends, your pets, your colleagues, hairdressers, daughter. It all helps. Have a great week and I'll be back next time. Thanks.